Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome to the second half of our special episode this week. Uh, I am live from Podcast Movement 2018 here in my hometown of Philadelphia. Uh, just me, since Jess and Matt were unable to travel. But uh, hope hope you enjoyed the first half of uh, the special episode when uh, Jess and I interviewed Alexander Rossi's engineer, Jeremy Millis. It was a, a fantastic interview, and, and good luck to uh, him and the Andretti crew uh, the rest of the season so far. The rest of the season, what, we have five races left at this point? All right, let's jump into it. And thank you very much to uh, our buddy, George uh, butts is nuts for on Twitter for answering a couple questions and uh, encyclopedia co-host Matt asked a couple questions for me to talk about during this uh, podcast movement is uh, you know a big networking and learning event so it's been great to you know find ways to keep improving the show uh, so you'll probably see some new uh, you know new things and, and new technologies and, and a couple new partnerships uh, in the next month or so. And don't forget, as always, everything is sponsored by SoundQ Audio, www.soundqaudio.com. Use uh, code PLPFAN and get 35% off of your purchases and be entered to win a Firestone hat as well as two uh, pit and paddock passes for a race of your choice, whether it be you know, the end of this year or you know at some point next year. Uh, just let us know, and maybe we'll throw some other prizes in there if we can come up with something in the near future. We'll we'll add that in there. And the contest goes until uh, the Thursday before Pocono, so August 15th or 16th. Uh, all right, let's let's get rolling here. Uh, the first question comes from our buddy uh, Gregorio. He asked the state of motorsports and podcasting. Uh, great question. There's some some great motorsports podcasts out there. Uh, I have to admit, I, I don't listen to all of them simply because I don't want to steal other people's ideas uh, and keep you know our, our content fresh. Uh, you know, with Matt and Jess every week. But uh, you know, just to shout out a few. Obviously, um, some of you guys might have heard me on the Indie Sports Car podcast last year. Uh, those guys do a great job of you know promoting and. Uh, really highlighting some of the great up-and-coming drivers in the Mazda Road to Indy. Uh, you know, Pato Award's been on there, um, Parker Thompson a few times, and uh, you know, just name of the few of the the highlights for uh, you know Frank and Missy. And uh, you know, the other the third host on there is is you know soon to be pro Mazda driver Christian Alexo that you heard on our show uh, a couple weeks ago. And thank you again to Christian for joining. Uh, but also, uh, you know, Fast Cars, Fast Girls uh, have a, a fun IndyCar podcast. You know, they keep it more of a, a hobby and, and light and humorous and uh, lots of cursing, which I love. And I think they drink during their episodes, which is a lot of fun. Um, they do some cool things and they answer a lot of fan questions live on their Facebook Live and uh, try to go to as many races and, and have a good time. And uh, both, both Abby and Molly are, are super friendly. 
uh, and indie locals. And you can probably find them at a racetrack wearing an assortment of checkered flag gear. Uh, and lastly, I know we don't always see eye to eye with the NASCAR world, but I checked out a NASCAR podcast a couple of weeks ago, the PET at PET PETM podcast. Oh, that was a mouthful. Uh, those guys, uh, I think, out of the the non indie car shows I've listened to, are the most honest when it comes to you know some shortfalls or, or frustrations they have with NASCAR. They don't just butter everything up. Uh, which I like uh, their honesty, just kind of, you know, like how, uh, you know, sometimes we have to pitfall something that happens in the indie car world as well. Um, so check out their show. I think they live stream it on YouTube, but their social media is at PETM podcast. Uh, you know, give it a give it a listen uh, if, if you, uh, you know, venture out uh, outside of IndyCar, but uh, obviously listen to us first. Uh, moving on, let's see. One topic I wanted to touch on, because I'm, I'm sure we probably won't have time to touch on it during our regular recording tomorrow, is I'm going to call it the divide between NASCAR and other motorsports. And what I mean by that is this sense that NASCAR social media, as we've pitfalled uh, probably two or three weeks in a row, has, you know, shown oh nascar is the most accessible form of motorsports with drivers and and pit lane um access and and garage access etc etc uh as they take a picture of you know ryan blaney hiding behind a plate glass wall and signing autographs uh, it's it's very strange and to me it's disappointing that nascar is trying is has this very air of self-conscious and, and worry about other all these other forms of motorsports maybe it's a sign that they realize they are uh you know their their numbers are, are way down i don't know and they're just trying to stay in the limelight any way possible and and keep uh you know keep fans talking about nascar but it's kind of disappointing i'm not saying everybody has to like every form of racing but this need to uh you know one-up other forms of racing on social media um, by the NASCAR community is is really disappointing to see, and uh, you know, especially when you consider, yeah, you know, obviously we we all, you know, everybody who listens to the show knows that uh, IndyCar is is very open, uh, you know, from the you know pits to the garages to autograph sessions, not behind plate glass walls, uh, you know, and et cetera. Every driver is super friendly. Uh, but also, you, you know, uh, MotoGP, uh, these, you know, sports car series, IMSA is pretty open. Uh, I, I see, uh, you know, Ryan Eversley always posting pictures at whatever sports car race he's at. And, uh, you know, the list can go on and on. I know I've seen plenty of drivers kind of question NASCAR's approach to the last couple of weeks in social media. And, uh, you know, a, a disappointing topic to bring up but i thought it was worth mentioning in my uh, you know my solo 25 minutes or half hour here however long they give me that i, I wish uh, you know there was a way that we could all get along we don't have to like the other form of racing you know there's plenty of issues that all racing could improve on but the social media bashing is is something that uh I don't want to say social media bashing. The social media trying to one-up other forms of racing uh, when they are clearly incorrect by the thousands and thousands and thousands of responses that they've gotten. 
makes me wonder what the the purpose of that is and I don't think it's been successful at all. Just just my opinion. I'm I might be wrong. Maybe NASCAR fans really like that they've been posting that, but I think even some NASCAR fans are like, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, as an example, I, I looked at a, a pit and paddock pass for uh, the Dover race, and it's quite pricey. Uh, it, it's more than the cost of a you know a whole weekend pass for tickets and a pit and, and paddock pass for an IndyCar race. Uh, you know. Oftentimes, it looks like they're at least a couple hundred dollars at minimum. So uh, I'll leave that one at that. I, I'm sure we'll discuss it more maybe this week or in the coming weeks, as I'm sure we haven't heard the end of this uh, strange uh, social media battle that seems to unfortunately be going on. Uh, moving on, thanks to Matt for asking a question. Now, I can't find this question on social media, naturally. But his question went along the lines of, when I got into racing, who was my favorite driver? Who was my least favorite driver early on? Uh, my very first racing memory at Nazareth Speedway, I was, um, God, five, six, or seven years old, somewhere around there when, when my dad was still working in timing and scoring, uh, was sitting in Adrian Fernandez's car. And I have that picture still in my home office. I'll, I'll tweet it out for those who want to see what I looked like 20-something years ago, sitting in a race car. Uh, and it was, it was very cool. I remember him being a super, super friendly guy. And then the next guy I met right after that at age seven was AJ Foyt. So I know we've talked about Foyt racing struggles um, probably since I was seven. Um, so I, I hope they can turn it around. You know, AJ Foyt was, was my dad's favorite driver growing up. And, uh, you know, I, I still root for Foyt racing as often as possible and a little bit better this year with Tony Kanaan. So I hope they pull it out, but you know, my first, uh, you know, Im important IndyCar memory that I can at least remember at this point is sitting in Adrian Fernandez's car. I didn't really have a, a least favorite driver when I was that little is, you know, pretty impressionable and, and just loved being around the sport and the track. I, I know plenty of people mention, uh, you know, Paul, Paul Tracy and his, uh, his ego and attitude he had, especially as a driver. Uh, I would say his social media and presence today uh, is a little bit more frustrating than it was when he was a driver. I liked the aggressiveness, but uh, I guess for the sake of Matt's question, I'll I'll say uh, I'll say Paul Tracy because he was uh, was a little bit of a hothead. Uh, you know, plenty of battles with Sebastian Bourdais and probably just about every other driver that he raced against at one point or another. So thank you to Matt for submitting that question, and I'm sure uh, Matt will uh, be on our regular episodes, regular scheduled episode tomorrow, and we'll have plenty to talk about there. Uh, one other thing I wanted to venture into before I go back into some fan questions is uh, Robin Miller's weekly mailbag thought that was a good topic to discuss maybe for a couple minutes here a little bit more in depth uh especially this week's i don't know if you read it it just came out uh, today uh, it was just afternoon on wednesday as i'm recording this but it's very depressing to read his mailbag he seems extra negative this week i, I don't know what it is he doesn't necessarily like laguna seca because uh, the racing was boring and the attendance was bad the last few years. Champ Car was there. Uh, 
He wants Gateway to be the finale. It's all the owner's faults because the owners didn't want that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I want to kind of just give my opinion on why Robin is wrong. And I think we've done that more than once on this show, but uh, Jess and Matt can't interrupt me, so it can only be my thoughts on this one. Uh, and hopefully I don't bumble over any words because I'm sure they will never let me live this one down. Um, so my thoughts, Robin Miller, I, I get where he's coming from. He's an old school guy. A lot of the old school fans and racers, uh, think about things slightly differently than, uh, you know, Jay Fry and team. And, and I think, uh, Matt, Jess and I, you know, tend to agree. I, and, and really the first guy who changed my mind on gateway as the finale was Bo willpower, you know, four or five weeks ago, whenever he was on Saturday night is the perfect time for that race. The crowd was amazing. You know, the promoting has been great. They've added some more sponsors this year, you know, promoting the race, keeping it Saturday night is, is 100% the right call. And I don't, I don't think in any way, anybody should be questioning that decision. People want or the teams want the final race of the year in Laguna Seca or Sonoma for sponsorship reasons to kind of, you know, keep their, uh, uh, you know, sponsors happy and wine and dine them. And I get that, too. And I think Laguna Seca with a new kit is going to be uh, a little bit more racy than, uh, you know, it was when it got off the schedule 15 or 18 years ago, whatever it was. But the need to by Robin Miller to seem to want the IndyCar finale at Gateway. I get it. I just don't think in any way it is remotely the right call. Uh, maybe uh, an, an oval for a net finale? Sure, but it has to be you know the, the right oval, and I get why he says Gateway, but Gateway on a Saturday night was extremely successful. That's why we're most likely going to see Iowa go back to a Saturday night at some point soon. Uh, hopefully next year. So uh, I don't agree with that. And if we're not going to get it on an oval because of attendance issues or TV issues, uh, I think you know 2019 going forward, Laguna Seca is, is a is a very good fit. Um, but I guess I guess we'll see on that one. I, I'm I'm open to thoughts. Let me know what you think. Maybe we'll make our Twitter poll of the week. Where do you think uh, the finale should be? Uh, I, I'm open to. Uh, you know, all thoughts and, and suggestions, just like Mr. Foe changed my mind a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see there. And, and there was one comment in Robin Miller's mailbag that I'm going to make uh, this week, uh, this special episode, special pitfall. Uh, I'm not going to say his name because I can't find it on the, uh, on the mailbag right now. So I'm scrolling through my computer here. But the first two to three sentences of the uh, of the question which is robin miller's questions that he gets in the mailbags are more like mini novels at this point uh but that's we'll save that that our uh frustration for another day uh the, the question starts with i have been a supporter of indycar for over 30 years and have attended Two to five races per year, almost the past two decades, but it is becoming tough to support a series that no longer puts fans first. I don't have uh, a clue where he's getting at, what he's getting at with this. 
Uh, Jay Fry and team have done a, a phenomenal job listening to the fans in terms of the car, in terms of racetracks, in terms of you know various things that that they like to see. Obviously, in Jay Fry, we trust. Uh, I can't forget to mention that while we talk about this. Um, but not putting fans first. I don't know if, if you've been around the IndyCar paddock area, but uh, drivers in the middle of their busy schedules are always taking time out to you know talk with fans. Obviously, you know, Newgard missed uh, had to miss the last five minutes of practice uh, earlier this year because he was signing autographs. And uh, you know guys are constantly stopping you know to chat with fans even when they have you know meetings to go to and engineering stuff to discuss. Uh, even in a in a tight paddock like uh, Toronto, which was in a, a convention center, which was a, a little narrow, uh, guys weaving their way in and out, always made time to stop and talk with the fans. Uh, yeah, IndyCar makes it easy and accessible, and you know certain tracks give you know free garage access on Fridays. And uh, I'm not sure what more you can ask for. The racing has been has been pretty good overall this year, and I think is is only going to improve as the teams get more work with the Aero Kit, and you know the addition of the wing flaps for the Pocono race should help the Super Speedway uh, configuration. So, uh, if he doesn't want to watch IndyCar anymore because he doesn't think they're putting fans first. Uh, Listen, I, I don't understand. I think that's very silly, and that's why he's getting pitfalled. And I think this is the first pitfall we've ever done before the end of the episode, uh, unless you count Jess ending the episode early by by mistake, uh, or at least trying to end the episode early by mistake a couple weeks ago. Uh, but getting to uh, a couple more fan questions here. Uh, thank you to, as I mentioned earlier, our buddy George. Hashtag our buddy George. Maybe that'll be on our, our next merchandise. Question one from George, and then I'll go into another topic and then get back to question two from George. Would I rather fight a horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? I feel like Jess may have paid him to ask this question because this is definitely a Jess question. And if not, I think she's probably going to steal it for the uh, uh, remainder of our uh, interview episodes. Um so, I, I I don't know. I I'm, This is a very scary answer, having to be put on the spot like this, because I did not read this question until... I did not read the question until I got started. But I'm going to go with a horse-sized duck, because ducks can't move that fast. Uh, so, I think I would be able to outrun it. So, that's my ridiculous answer there. Um, I am being given the five-minute countdown before our time at Podcast Movement uh, is over. Plenty of cool things coming from that in the near future in terms of some partnerships and things you might see on the show or uh, improvements to our uh, equipment and show structure to make everything as good as possible for you guys. That's that's really my main goal here is is to you know make you know provide as much as possible for you guys to enjoy the show where we can continue to grow our our subscribers and uh content and giveaways and and all that stuff so i'm gonna skip my uh last topic and get to george's last question here uh who wins the rookie of the year uh i think wickens has this one in the bag i'm pretty sure that's not gonna change at all 
I don't see anybody catching him unless one of the other rookies wins all five of the remaining races, which I guess isn't impossible. It's been a year where things in IndyCar have come out of left field, so uh, we shall certainly see. But I am uh, going to sign off here. hope you enjoyed the interview with Jeremy Millis, with Jess and I, uh, for the first half of this episode. And stay tuned. Uh, for our regularly scheduled uh, episode with uh, Matt and Jess that will be recorded Thursday evening and and posted on Friday. Uh, And you can listen to it on wildfireradio.com. Thank you very much. And guys, keep your lug nuts tight. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit